Hi, everyone. Welcome to a brand new All Access. I'm here with composer Stephen Price, Academy Award-winning composer Stephen Price. You know him from his amazing score to Gravity, but of course, a bunch of other amazing scores he's done in the in the past, I mean, decade. And recently, he just did Beast. Uh, he has My Policeman coming out, but we're here to talk about Our Planet live as well. Stephen, it's so great to see you again. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, it's nice to be with you again. Yeah, so uh, we talked a while ago, uh, eight years ago. So if, if anyone wants to go back, you can search on the channel. We can, I'm sure we talked about your background and path to composing. So let's just jump into, I want to jump right into to our planet because our planet is such a an amazing uh, docu-series that you, you did for, for Netflix with uh, the amazing, uh, you know, BBC Earth like team that kind of is known for all those amazing documentaries. Um, so, and you can stream it on Netflix right now. So uh, let's just start with how did you... Uh, the the project itself how did you get involved with the project i know you had some history before doing some docu series uh was that led to our planet yeah i mean it was kind of a sort of three part process really and that that years and years ago back in my kind of past life working for other composers and that sort of thing i helped out on a the, the film version of planet earth the original planet earth back in right. the 2000s which george fenton was doing and they made a movie version of it um which was going to be recorded with the berlin phil and it was like a sort of you know a special hour and a half all the best bits of that show yes and i met during that process alistair fothergill who was the director of that project all right and that was all lovely and george obviously a genius great um and then years later i just got this email out the blue from him going we're doing a series for the bbc called the hunt would you like to come and yes. have a chat about it and um, my immediate reaction was kind of oh i've never thought of doing that before and you know you immediately go like ah oh, no i'm kind of I'll, I'll stick with the, the films thing and He's brilliant. So he invited me down to Bristol and just showed me some footage. And you go, oh, right. OK, I, I definitely do want to do this because it's just, you know, they are the best at, at shooting this amazing stuff yeah. and then really storytelling, you know, and they they really love music. So I did that show back in about 2015, I guess. And towards the tail end of that, they started mentioning this big thing they've got coming up for Netflix um, called Our Planet. And it was going to be the first one that dealt with environmental concerns and all this sort of thing. And, and again, they showed me enough footage that I was like, yes, please. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I grew up on that stuff, too. I grew up on Discovery Channel back when it was actual documentaries and not mermaids and you know, <laughs> 90 Day Fiance and stuff like that. But um, it's 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 unique how those nature documentaries really utilize score because it is movement. But you're also telling stories. You're trying to find emotions. You're trying to make the the images that we're seeing connect to, to humans. So I'm curious for our planet, what was the approach here? I know it is specifically kind of focusing a lot on uh, climate change and the human's impact on our environment. So what was kind of the directive at the start and how did you approach scoring the series? It's kind of um, a couple of things happening at the same time. And you've got like an eight hour kind of canvas really with something like that. And we really wanted it to feel like the same show all the way along. We wanted themes to come back and we wanted things that be recognizable. But at the same time, you're going through all of these different environments that all want different music. You know, if you're in the Arctic, they, they kind of want a more glacial thing. Perhaps there's a little bit more electronic stuff going on in there. Yeah. Jungle, it's really busy and there's lots of noise and you're kind of more skittish and the creatures are smaller and, you know, but finding a way to to thread all that together. I mean, I, I always used to say it was like starting a new film every three or four days because you'd suddenly have this new group of characters and you'd have this sort of uh, this this new storyline, but that would have to tuck in within both an episode and within the series. So, I mean, they're they're fantastic. They gave me a, a, an awful lot of um, leeway and and sort of trust, really. And I think it helped. We'd done you know a previous six hour series. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was great. You know, we there's a lot of back and forth with it. You know, and I would I would just start at the beginning of each episode and keep going until it was done, really. But it was kind of 
exciting because it's a very quick turnaround you know it's 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 not film budgets and all that kind of thing so you'd be writing quickly but there's a, lo a lovely momentum that would go with all of that and you you really can sort of go for the emotions in a way that sometimes in films you know people are less keen on nowadays so it's a yeah. it's a lovely form of of writing I, I enjoyed it so I'm curious what the the kind of the, the pipeline structure of of the production is because you know I, I I'm sure they come with hundreds of hours of footage that then has to be kind of pulled together into a one-hour episode and they're trying to find a way to create a little bit of a narrative trying to tell the stories of these amazing creatures so i'm curious when in the pipeline do you kind of come in are you do you have a locked picture to work with with you know david's amazing narration already placed or how do you spot around like how do you work around the narration and when are you kind of let to just kind of open up and just have these kind of big sequences is that all kind of pre-planned or do you kind of figure it out along the way? It's a combination. I mean, you definitely come in a little later than you would do on a on a movie. And a lot of the time, sequences were locked, which, again, this leads you to write in a different way because you're not, you know, if, if you know the picture is going to change a lot, there's a little mm -hmm. bit of your brain that's kind of making sure you're covered for that. Maybe you're playing a little safer and knowing that, you know, you might have to edit something later on. Whereas if it's, you know, a locked picture, you really attack the cuts you want to you get and you, yeah. you can really, really commit to stuff. So you kind of you get a lot more of that going on in that, and sometimes David would already have recorded his bits, um, and other times not. I loved it when he had because he's got this really melodious way of talking, and you can of kind of find yourself just writing to him. But the the other thing worked really well as well, and there were various occasions when I would have written the music in advance, and he would actually do his narration whilst listening to the music. And when I'd hear it back, you'd realize that he's really musical, and he kind of. He knows where to leave the gap, you know, and he knows how to sort of play with the music phrases as well. So whichever way it went first, it seemed to kind of find a way to work. And where it didn't, the, the producers were great. And we might move a line of dialogue. We might, you know, open things up a little bit if it felt like the music used to go there. They just really value it, I think, in a way that's, you know, amazing. Yeah. And does and with, with a series like this, is there like a lot of picture changes? Like, do you, is it similar to like working on something like Suicide Squad where it just be like constant yeah. changes? Or is it more like, okay, we... Like where you'd have to kind of like conform something really drastically or is it kind of more or less like you're just kind of massaging it out you know it's, nothing was like suicide squad ever <laughs> but um, but, um no I, much less so i would say of that i mean there's obviously always times when things have you know someone's had a great idea towards the end and it changes a lot of things but you know they've been working on these shows for for four years you yeah know, before you get involved so they they've they've locked their stories down and a lot of the time they've really finessed it and polished it you know, I might, I might see an earlier cut and start writing some things, but the real, you know, hard work of it, I would be, the pitch would be quite far along. So, you know, it, it's fun to do that sometimes. It makes a bit of a change from the more movie side of things where, you know, you're, you're a little more, oh, we've changed that one. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So is there, was there a favorite episode of yours or maybe a favorite animal or like a, a sound palette that you got to work in that really was very rewarding for you that you look back on and go, oh, that was definitely a lot of fun to do. I got I to see. really play around. <laughs> I, I seem to to love doing stuff with water. That's what mm. I've I've learned. Like oceans things and coastal things and freshwater things. Things where there's that that flow and they shoot they they film it and edit it in a very kind of flowing kind of way. And that always seemed to suit. I always seemed to to you know enjoy writing those episodes and not sort of get bogged down or anything. Always felt like they flowed really well. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that sort of thing. And you know, those directors seem to love voices a lot, and I love working with voices too. So it was always kind yeah. of satisfying to make that combination of orchestra textural stuff and voices as well and it just it always felt like there was a lot of moving stories in those those episodes yeah was there any like do you get to 
do you kind of select different instruments for different you know locations or like specific instruments like oh i'm only gonna use piano for this i know you mentioned like electronics for like glacier and stuff like that yeah. but do you do you kind of create a sound palette like okay this is gonna be for forest this is gonna be for water like is that kind of how it went about I mean, not not so kind of consciously and specifically but they the picture seems to to do that to you i mean certainly there's a forest episode that we did and there's so much more woodwind in that and it felt you know it sounds corny when you'd say that but it did seem to yeah. work that stuff it, it seemed to kind of fit and you know the Arctic episodes were were way more kind of electronically sort of fused as well. It just seemed like those big vistas of glistening things needed a bit extra, and the orchestra was doing its beautiful thing, but you needed something else as well, a little bit of edge somehow. And a lot of of, of what we found in that series as well was you know going against the images, and you know where if you saw some amazing big environmental catastrophe like a glacier collapsing into the sea or whatever. You know, you could play that with huge music, but sometimes we didn't. We went really, really intimate. And that was something that I found really interesting, just taking on into other work, you know, sometimes making something really small and intimate and personal, even though it's this huge event, you know, just just hopefully meant people lent in a little bit more and, you know, realized the reality of what it was rather than just another huge image, because we're so hit by huge images all the time, you know? Yeah. And yeah. a good to make them very personal. Absolutely. And that intimacy yeah, that resonates so well, the emotional like uh, resonation of everything. But um, so now you're doing Our Planet Live, which is, I mean, that must be so exciting for you to take everything you've written on that big series and then turn it into a live to picture experience. And I've only I've talked to a few composers who've kind of gone through that journey. But I'm curious for you what I mean, what goes into it? What goes into taking something that you've written for a docuseries and then creating a concert experience that's also live to picture of course you can't show everything from the entire series so what goes into selecting what that kind of compilation version is and how do you adapt your music from you know being recorded to being performed <laughs> yeah i mean it was it's a it's a huge thing actually and it's obviously we planned it back in 2019 i know we were, you guys got well, hit with the you know the scheduling of everything with the world shutting been, down in lots of ways, we we just kept chipping away at it, you know, any yeah. spare time we go back and, and work on that a little. But the important thing for me, because I'd, I'd watched a load of these things over the years, you know, when they come to London, you'd, you'd go and see. And, you know, sometimes they're brilliant, but sometimes it felt like you were watching clips and mm -hmm. highlights of the show. And I was really keen that if we were going to do it, we made it its own thing. And we made it a, a two hour show that stands alone and tells the whole story of, of the original series, but in a way that really works as its own kind of journey. Yeah. Um, and so it was once I got that, then it was a matter of working out what are the crucial bits? What bits do we need to see and what's missing of the story then? You know, and mm -hmm. so we went back into the edit and, you know, there's pieces of music which were written for, for one purpose in the show. But I was fond of and, you know, we've gone back in and edited footage to make these sort of um, new sequences, which kind of just fill the gaps in the story. So we have the big sequences that people remember from from our planet. But within that, we have these kind of storytelling sequences which show a lot of information, um, you know, in a in a tight sort of form, but in a way that the pieces that really sort of embrace the orchestra and, you know, the huge screens and the lights and all those things that that go with these sort of shows. So it was it was a lot of work to kind of work out the balance of it and, you know, the journey that you go on, especially when you're dealing with things that, you know, are a little bit harrowing in places, you know. Yeah. But hopefully we've got the the balance of, you know, we really spend a lot of time celebrating the planet in the in the first half of the show and we see all the interlinks of of different environments within it um and then we go on to show a little bit of what's going wrong but we certainly sort of spend a lot of time with the hopeful stories as well and you know things that are going on with very clever people trying to solve problems 
Right. And I think another be beautiful part about this uh, concert series is that all the, the net profits are going to the WWF uh, Foundation for education and conservation and all that. So I think that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it was always central to the whole plan was that this was going to be it's more of a, you know, awareness sort of thing. And hopefully people just come out of it feeling massively optimistic. And, you know, we so many of the stories that I learned through doing these sort of shows was how everyone's little changes make the big changes yeah and a lot of what's going to have to happen is the pressure we all put on those with lots of money and power you know i know so, especially in the time that we're living in and seeing yeah. i mean you're you're cooking over there in europe and we have droughts and fires i mean it's it's sad to think about but i mean it needs to be the awareness is needs to happen you know <laughs> yeah, it's, it's become pretty clear now isn't it that we're not in a, a good time yeah. They weren't, they weren't, yeah, they were sounding the alarm a while ago and I, you know, the world sat on, on their hands and, and now we're paying the consequences. It's really sad, but uh, you know, it's, I'm so glad that series like this exist and all the other, you know, series that exist as well, all focusing on our natural world and, and your music is such a huge part of that. Um, and I'm curious, uh, going back to kind of the concert, were there any, what were kind of the big challenges, I guess, of, of bringing this to live performance? Did you work with like a team of orchestrators to figure out how it's going to sound all performed live on stage how do you even figure out what the mix level should be when you're in a hall especially the halls are going to be changing the the venues will change every time like yeah. what kind of uh, all that coming in i'm sure there's so million little things you have to consider but what were kind of the big challenges that you had to overcome well it, it's it is that kind of thing of, of of taking what we've done and we record obviously in the studio it's you know more of a, a, a compiling all the best of everything and maybe we record the brass separate from the strings and it's all that kind of um, process but I just work with the same team that I would work with in any work I mean, I've got a team that's been incredibly loyal and you know love them all dearly that I've been with since the time I started yeah. and we just um, we've had a couple of of live experiences over the last few years where you know I've had pieces played at the the proms over here and you know a bit at the Hollywood Bowl where in LA and and you know a couple of things we did a a, a, a gig at Abbey Road um, a few years ago which was you know a presentation of like six or seven pieces and that was this real lesson in what works and what doesn't work because I was always been very you know keen on you know it, I'd like if the electronics are there I, I think they should still be there you know and it should all still yeah. it should be that same sort of oral experience and the same way that I mix the, the orchestra and electronics in films I'd love you know I want them to hear that same thing it's really all part of the writing and so yeah we learned a lot during that process about about what works and you know so much of it is you're in the hands of brilliant sound engineers and the musicians themselves all that sort of stuff but yeah it's the experience we've had so far taught us a lot and hopefully where well, we feel like we're in a good place for for these gigs well I'll tell you after the rehearsals <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so kind of and like, well, let's pull out the scope a little bit um and kind of just I want to talk to you about just your career and your uh, you know general approach to composition and everything so I mean as I mentioned earlier last time we talked was eight years ago uh, when Gravity uh, came out. And that kind of just like launched you onto this journey that I think you weren't even expecting. Because, I mean, we all know the story of how you became part of that score. And Alfonso Cuaron brought you in and said, you know, why don't you go ahead and, and just do this movie? And then you win an Oscar. And and it's been a, a, an amazing ride since then. So I'm curious, if you look back in the, in the, the gap between last time we talked and now, do you see yourself as a... Uh, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a more... Uh, a better storyteller now do you do you look back at what you did in gravity and go oh crap i definitely would not have done that now you know do you look at gravity <laughs> and go oh that's just novice play but like how, how do you see your career i guess in the grand scope of things <laughs> i mean it 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 
I don't know how I would I would give an overview of it, but it, it feels like everything has been a reaction to the thing that goes before. And one thing about the choices I've I've made along the way is I do tend to to go, oh, okay, I've just done a, a big film in space. So I really want to do something that's as gritty and earthy as possible. And then I've done a big orchestral one. Now I'll do a tiny little um, synth-based sci-fi film called Archive or whatever for no money. I kind of, I just, I've realized I enjoy the journey of it and I enjoy the concept-driven stuff. And I think that's why Gravity was was this perfect project for me really and that it was all concept driven and I think the the work that I've loved the most since then has been the thing where you know I've, I've had filmmakers that are of a similar mind and we want the score to be absolutely unique to the film when I, mean, I always say to, to people in the first meetings it's like you know if, if the score that I write can be tempted into something else you know when you're on your next one we probably got it wrong you know it should, mm. it should seem ridiculous you know and so I've always tried to to do very bespoke scores. And a lot of that came from that, that experience of working with Alfonso. It's like, well, why would we use that instrument? They've, they've, they've done that. Why would we do yeah. that? And obviously there's times when it has to be certain things. And, you know, you work on an animation project, it's going to have the orchestra doing certain things, whatever. But it's it's definitely a bit of my my process has, has remained that I'm, I'm looking for a way to make it unique to that that show. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you talk about some of the filmmakers that you get to work with and you've gotten to work with some, I mean, amazing directors on the projects that you've scored, such as Alfonso Cuaron, uh, David Ayer, Edgar Wright, and so many others. So I'm curious as a composer, uh, what do you like per, just on a personal level, you know, I, since I come from it, from a filmmaking perspective, what are traits that you love to see in, in directors that you make your job easier that uh, you really like appreciate when a director does this or says this, or, you know, do you like a director to be really kind of, detailed about what they want or do you like them to give you a little bit of like vagueness so that you get to play around like what are some of the traits that you've picked up along you know your, your career so far like oh this, is, this makes a great director <laughs> I, I think it, it shared enthusiasm is probably the the mm -hmm. thing it's, it's that you know if you can send something to someone and they go oh it made me think of this or it made me i wonder if we tried you know this it made me look at the scene in a different way or it made me think what happened if we did this and you suddenly you've got this dialogue going because there's always this bit of me that, you know, you write your cue and you think, oh, I'm pleased with that. I'll send that in. But the the best thing in the world is when then that becomes something bigger than you imagined and it becomes mm -hmm. something different to what you imagined because of their thoughts, you know. And if you can be in that sort of really open relationship where it's sort of you, you can send them something not feeling so upset if they don't immediately go, it's the best thing in the world, but they can come back with something that gives you something to think about. Yeah, That's when all the, the best stuff happens for me. So it's it's people who are enthusiastic. And I think my best experience has been ones where where we talk in terms of the feeling of something, you know, and, and the emotion that they're wanting to put across. You know, I think when people are, are getting very specific about, you know, I think that should definitely modulate to there. I think, ah, well, this isn't this isn't so good, you know. But when it's I remember working with with Glenn Keane, the sort of animation genius yeah. over the moon. He'd done like all well, Beauty and the Beast and all sorts of things. And we'd have these amazing meetings where where we'd be looking at a scene and he'd go, I can't tell you what I want the music to do, but I can tell you what I was thinking when I started to draw the character. And he would go into all this amazing detail about, you'll see the hair has got these kind of weird sort of waves in it. And that's because that's how she feels when she's doing this. And musically, it just kind of made sense because the, the way something yeah. looked and the way that the light hit them is all kind of feelings. And so I could get it. And you, you kind of got this sense of what he was wanting to feel and that, all of a sudden you were writing it, you know, it's uh, those are, those are the experiences I like when people, you know, tell me, tell me, you know, 
how how far we want to push an emotion really absolutely and what are some i mean i'm sure you've encountered a bunch of headaches working on certain films and certain producers and whatever what are the traits that are, are just negative what is something that you've experienced in your career like oh that really is not how i like to work that's kind of you know kind of crushes my experience or kind of inhibits me to do certain things what are like bad traits that people should stay away from <laughs> well I, I think it's just it's all nervousness right anything that yeah. goes goes south in in filmmaking to me seems to be when there's there's bigger issues at play mm. and uh, music can you know we're last in the line right so music's something that everyone can have an opinion on and if if things are, are nervous around a film music can be something people really want to get into and and i doesn't tend to to improve the music that much yeah. in my experience but you know it's it's that and I think I think there's in an ideal world you've got trust right and if if the trust yeah. isn't there, things can get difficult um and obviously that's part of the job is to make people feel that you know you're very much there to do everything you can to to tell the story as they want it told and you know you're there as the the, the specialist music person and hopefully they will kind of if they like the music you're writing obviously hopefully they'll kind of grow to trust that you are trying to do everything you possibly can you know even if it's not necessarily what they're immediately asking for you are trying to, you are trying to do it all for the right reasons so it's it's when that stuff gets tricky when there's a lot of voices it can be tricky um because you know everyone does have a different opinion on music and yeah you know, there's very few pieces that you can talk about with anyone you know there's, there's very few things we all agree on right that that our yes. music is great you know, you'll have people who will who will hate the best things in the world to my eyes. But, you know, it. Yeah, that's all. It's and, subjective. That's a it's a subjective yeah. thing. And but uh, you mentioned a great thing that I like to focus on. I, I've, I interviewed my good friend, Dom Lewis, who's a, a composer, and he said the same thing. He's like, I just wish directors would trust their composers more. And I think that's a big thing that you mentioned, trust. And and I think that's why you see these great uh, director collaborate composer collaborations, especially with you and Adam or other people who find directors that they click and there's a trust. And that's why you see, or you just, you take the big one of all time of Steven Spielberg, John Williams, where it's just like complete trust over the entire career, you know, something like that. So, but and I think that can really help if you know, you can, you can just pass a really rough idea to someone just to see how it goes. And knowing that you'll get, there won't be any kind of like, uh oh, we have a music problem. There will be a kind of, oh, that's interesting. I was thinking, yeah. and, and something, you know, I I work with Edgar Wright a, a handful of times, and it's yeah. great. I can send him a really sort of loose demo, and just get, you know, are we are we in the right sort of ballpark? And it's it's a lovely feeling to to know that you're not doing that and risking everything, you know. Right. Where it, perhaps if you if it's a new relationship, you might spend an awful lot of time trying to make that demo perfect because you're trying to sell a demo which really you know the demo is not going to be in the film so it's sort of crazy yeah. the ways that you're kind of just trying to give this really great impression of a score you know yeah absolutely um so uh i like to ask composers i know i know the same question because i always love the answer it's different all every time but i know it's going to be different for for every project but for you where does the first note come from where where is that like the first moment where like that initial idea comes out of your head and goes oh that's my starting point and uh you know is it seeing that first cut is it sitting with the director for the first time is it jumping on an early project and reading the script first before you even they even start shooting like what is your preferential like point of like and where does that first idea like come from <laughs> i mean a lot of the first ideas definitely from script onwards and usually the mm. meeting as well when you first met someone you get get a sense of it there'll usually be some sort of idea that comes out of that I remember meeting Tom Harper on the film Aeronauts and just him talking about 
how they were lifting the balloon in the air. You know, there was all a hot air balloon sort of um, gas balloon sort of uh, project. And just talk, him talking about that, you know, I was suddenly imagining bellows and all these sort of wind yeah. sort of, you know, brass musicians just sort of blowing over the the instruments rather than actually into them and all this sort of stuff. And you suddenly came out of it with things to try. Yeah. Um, but in terms of when to start, I've never got a system for that. I've kind of, um, I've done it from from script a couple of times. Often it's not really worked that well because as soon as I see it, I go, oh, all the colors are wrong. And yeah. I, I, I've got the, you know, <laughs> oh, no, ignore that, forget all that. And, you right. know, I've done that a handful of times. I've, I've started off, um, I've started off with scene one of a film and just kept going and, you know, found out in about real four that the beginning needs redoing and all that kind of stuff because you've slowly worked it out. And other times I've started at some key scenes, you know, I've, yeah. I've never worked out a reliable way of doing it, but there's there's usually this bit which you're kind of really grateful for where it starts doing itself and you've kind of you've got to a certain point and you see the next scene you go oh all right okay so this needs to do this and you're just in the film at that point and it's just the battle against that bit and that's that can be the sort of it's exciting but it can be the scariest bit as well because you you don't know and especially if you're looking for something that you've not done before you can really not know you know <laughs> yeah i remember like Sorry, oh, sorry. Do you have to like a uh, kind of schedule time to do it? Like, do you like, all right, I'm gonna lock the door, and this is gonna be writing time, or do you just like going for a walk or in the shower, something hits you, and it just, you know, something like that? So, so often, I will have I will have given lots of time in the studio and be, keep sort of coming back and doing that, and it'll be when I leave here that, you know, <laughs> I'm like, it's this the classic thing nowadays of of I have a million voice memos which are late at night with the TV on in the background. You can normally tell what was on the TV, and I was like. <laughs> maybe it should be this you know and that'll be your next day's kind of pursuit yeah but, do you like, do you oh. tend to like hum out melodies in the in voice memos i've, yeah. I've heard of composers who will sing like ah da 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 like get get so you don't lose it yeah and you go i tend to i'd be walking around and i'll do that and then i'll come back and you realize it's just a load of wind noise and you sort of <laughs> this, this tiny little fragment of tune in the background yeah I mean, it's that, and there's you know there's instruments all over my house so there's all sorts of things of me going maybe it should be this it's just it, yeah, there's always something. That, it's my favorite bit, really, is the fact you've got like a little seed or something, and yeah. then the melody might appear to you whilst you're out and about, and you have to get it down quickly and all of that. It's it's just yeah, it's, it's just an exercise in planting seeds, I think, and seeing which one the the picture wants to develop and which one the picture wants you to get rid of. Absolutely, you know, for yeah, me, it's absolutely. the process of just keeping going and keeping seeing what it's rejecting. Absolutely. Um, so before we wrap up, I do want to focus uh, just on a few recent products. I know we haven't talked in a while, so we could just go through your entire filmography at this point, but <laughs> that would take forever. Um, but I recently I saw Beast and I really enjoyed it. You know, it was something that I wasn't expecting to be engaging and thrilling, but my God, it was just so well done. And um, I'm just curious, you know, we're on the other end of the spectrum now. You're scoring actual nature documentaries, and here's a completely yeah. fictional creature feature type thing. So it must have been so much fun just to dig into this. I'm curious, uh, you know, working on this film uh, that really seemed like it was kind of homaging a lot of, uh, you know, classic creature moments and and using long duration takes, one, mm -hmm. one shots to really build the moment. So talk to me about approaching the score for this and and how did you want it to you know, what were the goals of the score for this for this film? I think that the way he shot it was always very much, Mr. Baltazar Kumakor, who, who made the film, the way he shot it was very immersive and he was always trying to make it feel that the camera's kind of always with, with the character and it's long, long shots, four or five minutes yes. long. Yeah. And so that was kind of the way in for me almost. You know, it, we wanted to feel like you were in this tension with them. 
And then it became this sort of like, well, you know, the ebbs and flows of tension and where are the bits we're going to push and where are the bits that we're going to, you know, just disappear a little so that the, the shock feels more and how to make that feel African at the same time, you know, make it feel like you're in the savannah with them, you know, so he was very keen. I was very keen that it felt very kind of um, visceral and very um, uh, not particularly Hollywoody. You know, yeah. it, it wanted it to feel like it was lots of people whispering in the ears. And and I recorded a lot of small sections for that film. So, you know, a group of Chelly or a group of Woodwind all just on their own. So I could play with that and kind of have mm. these sounds coming in in different ways rather than it being the conventional, here's your orchestra. We wanted right. to feel like you were sitting in the middle of this sort of soundscape where melodies would sort of almost come out of the, the atmosphere a little bit. So yeah. it was uh, it was fun. I, I That was a project where an early idea kind of launched me off in the direction. I, I've been wanting to work with Laura Mvula for years. I sort of loved her voice and I met her a long, long time ago. I was always looking for something to, to work on with her. And, and when this came up, I kind of called her and, and asked her basically to come to my studio and just do a lot of weird breathing things and she's fantastic so she just spent a few days here just kind of making strange noises and we built up all these rhythms that would overlap and from there you started to to you know put the other instruments around it and it started to to develop into something so hopefully felt like a kind of a, a very vocal led score by the end of it yes it was very yeah it was visceral intimate and um, the way the way it was shot at first, I was like, "Oh, here they're doing a one a one take," and I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of one takes," and it really yeah. was just gripping you. And I, and I, I definitely picked up there, you know, one of the characters she was wearing a Jurassic Park T-shirt at the beginning, and then of course you you know the the car scene, and then the the scene towards the end. It's there's little touches and little homages to you know like the raptor scene in the kitchen or the T-Rex scene with the car, but done in a very different you know unique way. So uh, I'm, I'm curious when you're scoring. I guess when you're trying to build tension, what is I guess what is the the key to building tension and building up to that kind of climax point and giving the audience that kind of rewarding kind of you know shock? Is there have you figured out a way like what's the best way to build tension? Do you start slow and work it up? Do you pull back, keep silent, and come in like what have you figured out the best way to create tense moments? <laughs> I mean, not reliably, no, but I mean the the, <laughs> the, 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 this, the way I I tend to do those things when it's really sort of when you're looking for a kind of gut response or a sort of emotional response, the only way I can really do it is you keep writing and then you keep watching it and trying to get yourself into mm -hmm. a mode where you're not the composer anymore. And you're just sort of watching it. And there's, there's bits in that, in that um, score and that, that film where even in the final mix of it, I was still jumping when something <laughs> happened. There was a jump scare because we kind of, they were just physically effective film moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, there were moments in the making of the film when maybe they weren't working because I was too busy before, or maybe I was kind of pushing too hard afterwards or something like that. And, you know, again, it's the thing that, that I've sort of learned through the years of just watching it as a, as an outsider sometimes, which is a hard trick for your brain to do, but it's kind of, it's really useful because it's, you can get so entrenched in your work. You spend so long doing these things and you can kind of convince yourself of anything's working, but somehow if you can take a step back with it, you can kind of go and that's again collaborators you know they're great at saying yeah. i don't like that and then you see it through their eyes and you can go oh of course that's because it's terrible you know it's, it's it's a weird thing right when you like bring somebody in and present something you're immediately yeah. like it's like your brain just moves into their brain and you're like watching yeah. it completely new for this like a different time it's like oh now I, i'm seeing it right I heard Tom Newman describing the, the process of playing, you know, doing a playback for a director as like, oh, now it's all in mono. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's great. It's like all of these things you've kind of 
you've heard in your head it's also it's all doing this interesting stuff and you just hear it is it's just not there yet you know and yeah and it, it, it goes beyond music and stuff too like even if you're just working on a like a keynote presentation and you're supposed yeah. to be like presenting and then you're and then you start rehearsing it but you start putting yourself in the audience or something and it just like changes it's just yeah. weird the way the human brain works i don't know <laughs> oh, it totally is but it's one of, one of the things you know yeah you, you have to fight your kind of instincts sometimes because it's it's you know, there's nothing scarier than going to 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 a playback of of stuff. There's nothing nothing more nerve wracking than going into the cutting room where they're gonna talk about the music. But kind of hearing it through their speakers, with them watching it as they're watching it, is great because yeah. Although it can be you know saddening at times, it does it does show you kind of like well, it's it has to work everywhere, right? It's got to right. We're trying to make things that are effective everywhere. So yeah, if it's not hitting it, then yeah, go again. And on the other end of, of it is when maybe not not a great thing is when the studios do, you know, those focus group screenings and those are probably yeah. a little bit more of a pain because you're getting literally a thousand different things and everyone's like trying to make sense of it. So I mean, oh, in, in all different ways, you know, I've, I've been on ones that have, have been, you know, painful from that respect. But on the other side of it, I've been been in films that have got incredibly high test scores mm. and that's almost gone worse because then everyone becomes incredibly kind of excitable about their awards prospects and things and <laughs> and all the decisions get a little bit egoy you know so yeah. it can, it can, it's yeah there's i mean it's it's endlessly fascinating to me how difficult good films is i have so much respect for everyone who makes them because yes. it's it's such a tricky thing and the, the people who can you know build careers over a long period of time and, and you know do good work and move people it's it's yeah. you know it's a tricky thing to do. It's, and I always try to, I always repeat it because uh, it, if anyone is watching anything, whether it's a TV show or a film, the fact that you're watching it is a miracle. The fact that it's a finished <laughs> movie or television series, and even if you don't like it, even if you don't re relate to it, no one sets out to make anything bad. No one's like, I'm going to make a really shitty movie or something like that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, it's so much hard work and so much, and it's, I, I always respect the passion and, and effort that goes into really anything, yeah. you know? That's it. And no, no one ever knows the circumstances of how anything was made. You know, I think I think there is yeah. a tendency in, in critical circles nowadays for the pile on, you know, they're like, who can say the nastiest thing that's quite funny? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, that's, that's, you know, yeah. There's, there's lives involved as well. You know, it's, yeah, it's lives, it, professions. I mean, years of work. It's it's uh, it's yeah. two hours for your your time, but it's two years for somebody else. You know, it's it's and there's no guarantee that, you know, you're going to get more goes in this industry. Right. It's it's yeah. it's you know, it's a it's a hard it's a hard place to be hard place to be for sure um i do want to touch uh i know it's not out yet but uh, you have my policeman coming up which starring harry styles a uh, just an amazing story so i'm curious uh what can we expect musically from this it comes out i think november 4th uh amazon prime um what was it like working on this drama and uh, what attracted you to the project it was it was one of those scripts that, that arrived i've worked with the producer philip heard before on um a project called archive which is as far away from my policeman as you can imagine which i think yeah. both of us liked that fact and it's a beautiful story basically and um michael grandish is the director and i was watching his theater productions 20 odd years ago when i first moved to london and he's a lovely very very emotionally intelligent and and empathetic man he's just like really kind of an interesting person to be around and um, yeah, we we spent a long time just just talking on that one, and and you know it's it's a very restrained kind of score. The whole story is really about kind of uh, decisions that that you might have to make for various reasons in life that you live with, you know, and regrets and and not quite being able to live the way that people might want to have lived for for various historic reasons in this country certainly. 
Yes. And the score is is a really intimate. I'm I'm really proud of it. It's a really sort of small chamber score, very intimate, and some it was just beautiful days of recording because you were just there with a small group of musicians, all of whom I've grown to to know over the years, and kind of was writing very specifically for them. And um, yeah, it's it's it was a lovely project to work on. Actually, a couple of lovely days at Studio Two in Abbey Road, so it all sounds very English and and <laughs> woody, and you know. It was it was nice to do. Sounds like it's a kind of a personal score too. Kind of feels like truly you got to creatively rewarding for you. Yeah, well, I think it's it, again concepts were there, you know. So so the yeah. music was was there was there was some stuff under the hood, you know. There was some yeah. stuff where the the music was kind of uh, telling stories beyond what the the music was doing as well. And there, there was some conceptual uses of music which you know I really like doing, and it's it's. A, a film which which invites music in as well you know the music has a, a good role to play in it um and it never gets sort of um over emotive because that's not the sort of people we're dealing with but it, it it's right. definitely has a role you know and it, it there's there's lots of moments where music could kind of be heard in a very subtle way which is kind of nice to do is it is it difficult to find uh i mean some some projects dramas some dramas call for melodramas just to find that push that emotional but is it is it harder to do melodrama drama versus more like a reserved pullback score or is it easier to just pull back and be a little bit more natural with the emotions rather than than pushing it i guess is my question <laughs> i mean i think i i have a tendency to to push for emotion anyway to a lot no, of no no but i love the two like sometimes no, melodrama i think it can be cheesy and bad but yeah <laughs> but sometimes you know i i i need to step back as well you know sometimes yeah, I, yeah. my instincts are, are very much kind of oh if it's sad i want to be really sad you know? yes. <laughs> yeah no i i mean i'm the same way too i want the music to just like infuse yes. my brain and like you know exactly <laughs> uh, you know in some ways we're out of time with that you know that's sort of not particularly the film so right. you know, sometimes you sort of take a step back and maybe maybe things reduce along the way but you know again it's the with the right combination of film filmmakers collaborators yes you know you all kind of work out where the level is as you go when I, mean, I remember sitting with with alfonso Cuaron watching a playback a year after gravity when the home video release or whatever dvd it was and the two of us at one bit going like we went a bit far there, sort of a bit <laughs> over emotionally. And, and then just going like, well, people seem to like it, you know, but it's after even a year after we were like, did we, did we, did we go too far? You know, so it, these things change all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up, I'm, I'm just curious on your take, uh, just in general, as the, you know, we've seen the industry shift so much in the past decade. Uh, you know, I work in, in animation. I work at Cartoon Network Studios. I'm in the midst of this Warner Brothers Discovery thing right now. We're seeing all these tectonic shifts of the industry. Uh, and your take, what what are the, the good things happening in this industry? What are the, some of the bad things? And uh, what is your take on the future of what's coming up? <laughs> God, I mean, there's lots of things that are good about it. You know, there's lots of things that are being made that, that may not have been made five, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's that that, that mid budget project which kind of disappeared for for a while you know there's, there's streamers are getting back into that but the downside of it is you know when i was growing up with films things would have a real moment you know there would be a cultural moment for things and that's getting rarer and rarer i think you know and you, yeah. you can see in the way things are kind of covered now that that if you get a weekend you've done pretty well you know and that that's right. that slow build of stuff that i i've always loved in music in in films whatever that thing where did you hear about that? Did you hear about that? We've kind of lost a bit of that. And it means people are sort of, you know, more led by this is great or this is awful, you know, and there's not that thing where you find that project, which is for you, 
and that might yeah. show your path. So that's the that's the thing that worries me a little bit is that there's just so much content. How do you, you know, there's a lot of beautiful things getting lost, I think, along the way. Um, and a side of me thinks, oh, they'll all have their time. But I'm not sure because things disappear a little bit into streamers. They just go into that library and they're not on the front page anymore. So yeah, the algorithm know. decides, nope, yeah. goes to the back. Yeah. You know, I, I discovered so many films growing up just through, you know, Sunday afternoon TV in, in England where they might show a really old thing that you you know you didn't have much choice so you watched it and it was fantastic or it at least made you think about something you wouldn't have thought about yeah so you know i hope i don't know how we find our way through that but you know you just hope that your work gets seen and heard and you know does have its moment i suppose yeah and going forward i think that's that's going to be the interesting thing it's you know what's going to be the theatrical experience really you know is it going to yeah. be just just superheroes and the occasional 80s sort of brilliantly well done 80s throwback things that so we can all have that experience again or you know are we going to find ways to make theater more unique you know i always always feel like gravity was a a, a thing that was very theatrically different very, and i can't yeah. think of many things that really followed on from it you know there's not a lot of things that have embraced the theater in that way you know we're still we're still putting the reverb for the music in the back and you know we're not really moving things around and embracing the surrounds and all that sort of stuff in a way that there's a lot of potential that you know the right films could really do and you yeah. know all the interactive stuff you know this it's this there's brilliant ways of telling stories it's just having the the the, the time the people the belief to get those things through yeah it's quite a hierarchical system isn't it really you know wherever you go now it's there's an awful lot of people to please and it's absolutely it's yeah, the yeah your artists you know absolutely but you mentioned the, the the sound mixing of gravity which is still to this day the one of the most amazing sound mixes i think ever but I, if i recall correctly it's is it's i think it's still might be part of the warner brothers tour where you go at the end and they literally you can sit in a theater and i remember doing it i've been told about ago. it i never saw it i i, I you never saw never, this yeah i never, never if went. you go to warner brothers i'm pretty sure it's still part of the tour uh the, the lot tour you know i i'm in the warner brothers family so i was able to get like a, a discount i took my friends that were in town or something and yeah you go in a room and it'll show you the first pass of just voices you know adr wow. with nothing then it'll show sound effects only then it'll show your score only and it really breaks down the whole mix for people, which I thought was really cool. You don't see that, you know, for, for just general people walking through, you know, instead of just going, yeah. hey, I'm at Central Perk with friends. It's like, no, here's like an actual breakdown of how the score and the sound is mixed. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. <laughs> we, we did a thing quite recently over here. There was a, a, a London film sort of action festival. It was like the first year that, that they did it. And we did a, a, a talk there um, and did a similar sort of processy thing, but with scores, you know, where we got a, a, one of a few of my film scores up but with all the stems that you know i would present to a dub and kind yeah. of show people all the things that were in it and I remember showing a bit of, of last night in soho where this entire cue is really driven by anya taylor joy's voice and she did a lot of um you know singing sort of ethereal kind of ghost from the past stuff and there were all these layers and it was really interesting people going like well i didn't hear that in the film and i was sort of trying to argue that it doesn't matter you know you you, you felt it and it was there yes so it, it makes a difference fun. Yeah, all of this stuff, you know, the fact that there was some weird noise, you didn't know what it was, it made you feel a bit odd. And things like this is kind of interesting, showing sort of taking the the lid off some of these things and 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 showing what it is, you know. Yeah, getting under the hood and showing, yeah, those those classes are great. I think John Powell did a similar masterclass where he was 
breaking down layers of one mm. of the Dr. Seuss scores. And it was hilarious because oh, okay. he literally had the choir going. It was like a, it was the theme of the born identity, but it was the fish <laughs> saying like, say my name, say my name. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like, it was just like baked in into like the Lorax somewhere. It was, I mean. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like I, that. I, I love all that. I love the, the fact that, you know, this stuff is there, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if it's not the most obvious thing in the world. Just it's, it's all part of the, the feeling of a film. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I, you're one of the most creative people I think working in the industry today. I love, I've, I've followed your career since we last, I mean, even before last, since we last spoke and, and it's just your, your scores are always fantastic. And yeah, for the industry, I think, you know, uh, it was when Jean-Luc Godard passed away a few days ago, I was like, you know what, we really need a, a new, a, a new, new wave, a, a nouvel, nouvel vogue, you know, we need filmmakers and creatives to kind of, I think, reawaken, shock the system a little bit. And I think you're, you're, you're definitely attempting to, to do that with your work and, it always it always brings me great joy to listen to what you're doing and congratulations on our planet live that's such an amazing accomplishment so be sure to for anyone listening check out the tour dates they're, they're kicking back up again after such a long journey and <laughs> and congratulations on beast and my policeman and two you know wonderful films so and it's been so great to chat thank you so much for your time well thank you and thank you for for everything you do as well i mean there's so much work goes into this but i, I listen to these things and love them so thank you oh thank you man that's so great <laughs>